Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God is good, isn't he? Anybody want to just share real quickly that God has been good to you this week? I'm going to start. I buried my grandmother this week. We uh, went out to West Texas where there's not a whole lot of things but tumbleweeds and mesquite trees and buried my grandmother. She passed away a week or so ago, a week ago, over a week ago. And let me just tell you the story. Here's the amazing thing. So she had been spent some time in the hospital, and she'd gotten out of the hospital, and she was doing where she's doing rehab stuff, you know. Uh, she'd just been in the hospital for a couple weeks. She had some issues with her heart, a little valve or something that was fluttering. And so she goes back to the rehab center, and she's doing great, and all the nurses, they're loving her because, you know, she was a feisty little lady, and she was 92. And so she's cutting up and joking around with them, and... and uh, the day on, I believe it was Monday, was it Monday? I believe it was Monday or Tuesday. She tells them, she's like, hey, I've been in the, I need to go get my hair done. So they take her to the beauty shop there in the rehab center. They have a beauty shop there and they get her hair all done and get her hair. She's all pretty. And, and she said, well, I need to get my fingernails done too. Cause you can't do your hair without fingernails. You know, I, you, you guys understand that, right? You know, so you, the, the hair and the fingernails all goes together. And so she got her fingernails all done and, and pretty and painted. And that evening, she left this world and went to heaven. And I told my dad, I said, she was going to see Jesus and she didn't want to have her hair not done and her nails not painted. And she went to see the Lord. I just praise God for that. Because when you know Jesus, whatever this life brings you, even if it's in the middle of the night, something unexpected, I want you to know that there is joy in the presence of God. And so my little 92-year-old feisty grandmother, uh, hopefully she's not getting in any trouble up there right now. But I just praise God for that. I praise the Lord for that. Is there anybody else just like to share real quickly? Bridget, right here on the front row. She might not even need a microphone, you know. But we're going to get her one anyway because people online want to hear. People online want to hear. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise, yes, praise the, Lord. the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There y'all go. <laughs> All right. So I thank God for Jesus. On Tuesday um, at rehearsal, I requested prayer for one of my best friends. She was in the hospital fighting COVID. She was in ICU. And we just all came. I like I was to the point where I could not even pray. And I thank God for my praise team because they prayed over me and they prayed for her. And not even... The next day, it wasn't even 24 hours, her sister called me and said they removed her from ICU. She's no longer on the oxygen machine, and God is just working. I don't know what God has in store or what he has planned, but I do know that God heard our prayers. So I am grateful. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else just want to just brag on Jesus? Yeah, Charles. Amen. We thank the Lord. We have a new grandbaby in the family. All right. Born born Monday evening at 5.30, Dylan Caleb. So we're real proud of him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Children are a heritage unto the Lord, except when they become teenagers. That's when we... 
That's the question. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Going once? Going twice? First Peter, chapter 2. I'm going to continue my series on being not of this world. I want you to just look down the row right now. And I want you to realize that there is a strange person on every row. And if you say, well, they don't look strange, then guess who's the strange one? You're in a room full of strange people. You know why? Because you're not of this world. We're not, you know, eight-eyed aliens and, you know, we don't fly around in spaceships. But let me tell you something. Our home is not this world. We live for another place. And that's what Peter tells us. That's what his epistle is all about when he writes to these churches and these people scattered all over uh, years after Jesus is already gone, about 30 years later. He says, look, don't be discouraged. This is not your home. This is not where it all ends, just like my little feisty grandmother. This is, that wasn't the end, going to the beauty shop and getting her nails done. That wasn't where it was over. She was getting ready for the next step, the next phase. You're not, this isn't it. We're not of this world, Peter says. The very first verse of his letter, he says, We are the elect, God's chosen strangers in this world. Over and over, he repeats that. I just remind you, don't get discouraged in life. Whether it's rainy or whether it's sunny, whether you're happy or sad, whether you've got a great job or you're still looking for one, don't be discouraged because this is not all there is. There's more to come. Be encouraged this morning. I think if there's anything that could happen on this Sunday morning, this dreary, rainy Sunday morning, is that when you leave this place in just a few minutes, that you're smiling and the joy of the Lord is just filling and overflowing your heart. I hope that's God's goal today. I would just love for that to be a part of it. So Peter says this. He says, you're just strangers. And then he continues on. And we're into chapter 2 now. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, I talked about that craving last, last week for Mother's Day. But in verse 4, he writes this. He says, as you come in to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built. Can everybody just say, being built? Say, I'm being built. Into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. For they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, but you here today, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A people belonging to God. That should just make the joy of the Lord flow in your life right now. That should encourage, that should cause you to smile. You are a chosen people of belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. 
Because once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you didn't understand, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Lord, let your words just encourage our hearts today. Lift us up, Lord. Challenge our minds, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. The depths of our soul, Lord, would be spoken to, Lord, by your word. And Lord, when we leave this place, Lord, let the presence of God, Lord, just be flowing out of us, Lord. Overflow, Lord, us with joy today. I give you today this message, Lord. Let my mouth, Lord, be anointed by your Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, when we leave this place, that we will know that we have been in your presence and we have heard your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. You know, man's quest has, has been to always build things. Um, and there are some really impressive things around the world that have been built. Uh, there's one impressive thing that's been built in Egypt. Uh, and we have the pyramids. I think we've got a picture of that. This is the pyramid at Giza. It was built over 25, it was built in 2500 B.C. Now that was before Caterpillar. That was before John Deere. That was before they had all of the equipment and the technology that we have today. This pyramid is 481 feet tall. It was the tallest man-made structure on the planet for 3,800 years. It was the epitome of man's ingenuity and man's construction. It is made up of 2.5 million blocks. Million blocks. Aaron, how would you like to stack 2.5 million blocks? This guy's a, a, a mason. How would you like to build 2.5 million block structure? You'd spend your lifetime and then some building something like this. Now, that's an impressive thing. Has anybody ever been to Egypt and looked at the pyramids? Anybody? You have. Was, were you impressed? It's just enormous in your eyes, right? The pyramids are an impressive building construct. And that's not all there is. In China, there's what we call the Great Wall of China. It stretches, this wall stretches, listen to this, over 13,000 miles, zigzagging its way across China and the China border. This wall was started in 200 B.C., and listen to this, it took them over 2,000 years to finish its construction. Now, 2,000 years. Just imagine that. You're talking about 20-plus generations of people who built the same thing, building a wall. That's impressive. That's impressive. There's other buildings. We have the Panama Canal that was built. It's a 48-mile canal that connects the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean. It was started in 1881. This was such a, a, a great endeavor and such a challenging endeavor that through the course of its construction, over 30,000 people lost their life in building the Panama Canal. We have our own resident Panamanian right over here. Yeah, yeah. John, have you ever been there? You swim in it? <laughs> Panama Canal, it's impressive. It's impressive to see two oceans connected by the efforts of man. What an incredible an incredible construction and building endeavor. If you go to, to Dubai, you'll find a place called the Burj Khalifa. This is the tallest man-made structure in the world. It is 2,722 feet tall. Now, here's that perspective. It means it's over a half a mile high. 
Think about that. A half a mile into the air. It holds records right now of numerous, numerous categories. It is, the, it is the building in the world with the most floors. It is the building in the world that has the highest observatory deck. It's the building in the world that has the highest restaurant. It's the building in the world that has the highest elevator. You could go through an entire playlist riding the elevator up that top of that, that building. It's the highest building in the world. I'm not sure that I would want to eat in that restaurant. I'm not sure that I would want to ride that elevator a half a mile into the air. Thank God that there's not a whole lot of earthquakes in Dubai. But there's something that's really satisfying about men's endeavor to build something. It satisfies us. Because when we look at these things that we have made and the accomplishments of men, when you step back from a job, if you've done a project or if you've built something, if you've constructed a, a, a wall, if you built a building, when you step back and you see that, it's impressive. It's amazing. It's a, there's a sense of satisfaction. If you've completed a, a class or a course or you've gotten a diploma or you've finished a degree or you, or you completed some type of project, a music project, whatever it might be, there's a sense of satisfaction after we've built something because that's part of human nature. And the reason why I believe that is because we were built in the image of God. And what did God do? Well, God is the one who started it all. He constructed the stars in the sky, the sun, the moon, the oceans, the fish, the, the trees, the grass. He even constructed you and I. He built us out of nothing, out of the dust of the earth. He breathed life into us. You see, the image of God is what makes us want to build things. It wants, makes us want to build a home and, and build a company or build a career or, or even just build a life. And that building has driven us. That, that drive to build things is our forward momentum. And the reason why is because whatever we make, we believe that when we get it done, that it will bring satisfaction to our souls. You see, earlier in Peter, he writes about that God has delivered us from an empty way of life. You know, you can develop a career, and you can, you can have a family, and, and, and you know people do that. They say, you know, if only I could just get married, I would be happy. If I, could just, if I could just have kids, then my life would feel complete. If I could get that job, or if I could work at that company, or if I could own this house, or have this car, if I had this salary, then I would be satisfied. How many of you know that that really is not true? Because you can have an empty way of life and have all of these things. We think that whenever we build something that it's going to completely satisfy us. But honestly, there's nothing in this world that will satisfy it won't satisfy. It won't make you complete and happy. It won't satisfy your soul. Because what you really need to realize is there is no project in history that's more impressive than God's building project. God's construction of what He is making, of what He is doing. You say, well, what is God doing? Well, He created all of this, everything that we see. Yes, that's all God's hand. But the most involved, massive building project that's currently on God's books the thing that the world has never even compared to, the most massive thing construction-wise that God has ever done and the world has ever seen. Where is it? What is it? Well, it's happening right now. It's happening right here. It's involved, taking place in this room right now. It's God building you. The Lord is in the construction business. He's in the building business. 
And my friends, you are currently under construction. So look at your neighbor and say, hey, I'm under construction right now. I'm under construction. That's what God is doing. This group of people, you and I, the people down your row, the people that that are sitting two or three aisles away, they're under construction. God is working on you. God is working in this church. He's working on everyone who calls Christ their Lord and Savior. God is in the massive undertaking of constructing and building people. He's building you right now. God's always involved. He's always working. He never takes a vacation. He's constantly working on you, working in your life, always doing an add-on and doing a remodel. He's always reshaping your life, always constructing, always building. And so that's what Peter talks about in, in this passage that we see today. He highlights several things about God's building project. The first thing that he highlights is that it all begins, if you'll look in verse 4 and verse 6, that it all begins with the foundation. It all begins there. He, he mentions the foundations first. If you've ever been to Israel, Shannon and I were privileged to go to Israel years ago, and everything that's built is built out of stone. There are no two-by-fours. There's not a whole lot of wood in, in Israel. They build everything with stone. The walls are stone. The floor is stone. The foundation is stone. And Peter says the starting point for any good building project has to be the foundation. And he says that foundation is Jesus. He is the living stone. The living stone. Why is that stone so significant? Why is the rock so significant It's and so critical? Well, first of all, he says it, verse 4, he says he is the living stone. Now, that's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? A living stone. I mean, stones and rocks, they're inanimate. You know, like you would say and tell somebody, well, you're stone dead. You know, I mean, you're dead as a rock. You know, I mean, that's, that's how we would use the description. But it's an oxymoron. It's a living stone. Back in the, in the early 80s, there was a fad that kind of went around, and it was, it was pet rocks. Did anybody have a pet rock? Anybody? You're not raising your hand because you're embarrassed. I understand. That's all right. My grandma, she bought me a little pet rock one time, and I was like, what do you do? She said, you don't have to feed it. You don't have to care for it. You don't have to do anything. It's just a pet rock. What are we saying? We're saying this, this rock is actually alive, and they put the little, the little eyes on it and had a little smile, you know, and wake up every morning, hello, rock, you know. Didn't have to take it outside. It's a good pet in case you want to get rid of that. No? Okay. All right. Jesus is the one who's alive. And he is the foundation of everything that we do. He, he is the one who, who lives forevermore. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. This is what he says about himself. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. You build your life not on something that's dead and something that's inanimate, like the jobs and careers and salaries and all those things that that can't give you true sustenance and satisfaction. You build your life on Christ. And Peter says that's where it all starts. He talks about the living stone. Earlier he talked about the living hope. He talked about the living word of God because only life can beget life. You can't get life out of something that's dead. You can only get life out of what is living. 
You can't get life out of your work, out of your school, out of your family, out of your church, vacations and trips. You can have all of those things and still end up empty. Your heart can still be unsatisfied. Only Jesus brings true life, true joy, true satisfaction to your heart. That's why so many people I watch in the world, I see them working so hard to try to satisfy their hearts satisfy their souls and they always come up empty and i just want to tell them sometimes i just want to grab them by the shoulders and say it's jesus it's jesus wake up look at the reality it's jesus because only jesus can bring life to what is dead but the that living stone is important that foundation is important also because it's a reference point look at verse six Verse 6, Peter quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and he says that you are a chosen and a precious cornerstone. And I love this part. He says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. When you make Jesus the foundation of your life, when Christ is the foundation of your life, and what I'm saying is every decision, every choice, every every. Everywhere you go, everything that you think, it's all based upon what Christ would want. When that, is the, when that is the source and the reference, let me tell you, it's like what he says. You'll never be put to shame, which means you're never going to regret that Christ is the foundation of your life. There'll never be a time when you're going to say, man, I wish I hadn't got saved. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Man, I wish I had never met Jesus. You're never going to hear that. Because once you realize, as I said uh, last week, once you have tasted that the Lord is good, you want more. You want more. He is our reference point. And when you believe in Him, you won't be put to shame. Now, obviously, what Peter is doing is he's he's thinking of the temple. Do you remember the story back in Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus and His disciples are walking and leaving Jerusalem and they had just come out of the temple area and all the disciples are talking about how magnificent the temple was? Wow, that's, an imme- that's just an immense building structure. It's incredible. What do you think about that, Jesus? I mean, I mean look at what we have done. Look at, look at what the Jewish people have put together. Look how immaculate, how just incredible that is. And what does Jesus respond? He said, yeah, well, uh, there's coming a day soon when not one stone is going to be left standing upon another. All this, this what we think that we have built as humans, it's, it's, it's all going to pass away. It's all going to fold. It's all going to go away. But Jesus said, I am the cornerstone. I am the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? I was asking Aaron on Wednesday night. I said, Aaron, what's the most important brick when you're setting a brick wall? What's the most important brick? He said, the first one. Because by it, as he runs his lines and he runs his string lines, because when, if that first brick is off, the whole wall will be off. The cornerstone was the, was the largest and the heaviest block that was set. It was the first one set because it was the reference point. Everything that, the, that, that is built in that building is measured by that cornerstone. Everything is measured by, by Christ, our cornerstone. That cornerstone that, if you go to Jerusalem, you can see the old temple, the cornerstone of the old temple. Just think about this. They show it, you can see that, they'll take you to it, and you can see this stone. 
It is 39 feet long. It's seven feet wide, and it's three and a half feet tall. It weighs 80 tons. And if my math is correct, it weighs one, I guess that's 160,000 pounds. Is my right, guys? 160,000 pounds. To give you more perspective, your car maybe weighs one ton. Give or take. Can you imagine 80 cars? That holds everything. That cornerstone is the basis. It's the reference point for everything. It provided the starting place, the symmetry, the measurements for the rest of the entire structure. And what Peter says is, look, Christ is our reference point for all of your life. For all of your faith, he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a great example. He didn't just give some good traditions. Christ is what we measure everything in our life by. People get in a lot of trouble when they try to compare themselves to others. When they get into something that they know that they shouldn't be and the Holy Spirit begins to convict them, they say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying and doing what she's doing we don't measure ourselves by anybody else we measure ourselves by the standard of christ he is our cornerstone he's what we measure our lives by if you want to know where you are in your relationship with god all you have to do is measure yourself to christ i read of an an artist he was a landscape artist and he and he used he, he made massive pictures of landscapes with used a variety of colors all different types of colors just mixture have you seen a sunset there's a there's an array of colors that just bleed across the the sky and as he's painting he always keeps three things next to his easel he keeps a ruby an emerald and a sapphire and he was asked why do you keep those three jewels next to your easel he said because i always have to constantly go back and get a reference point because there's usually such a blend of colors. I need to know what really what blue really looks like, what green really looks like, what red really looks like. I have to continually look at a reference point so as I'm blending the colors, I know what I can go back to. Christ is our reference. He is our standard. But also that that stone, that living stone, he is our stability. You see, the most important thing is the foundation that you want in your home is that it's constant and it is, and it is consistent. In our world, we live in a world that's filled with lots of change. We've undergone more change in the last 18 months in your life and in mine that you couldn't package in a decade. Change produces this uneasiness in our hearts. Have you noticed over the last 18 months, there's just kind of been this sense of uneasiness, not just maybe in your own life, personally, that you couldn't explain, but in society as a whole? Have you noticed that? Is it just me or have you noticed that? Is there just some sense of uneasiness? What do I, what, what's the future going to look like? What's tomorrow going to look like? How's this going to work out? There's this sense because it's just a tremendous amount of change. And what people are saying is, what is it that I can rely on? Can I rely on the experts of, of the medical field? Can I rely on the government? Can I rely, can I rely on my job? Can I rely on the economy? Can I rely on this? Can I rely on that? And people are wondering, what can I truly rely on? And Jesus addressed that. In Matthew chapter 7, he says this. He tells a story. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man 
who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, on the living stone, on the cornerstone. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What the living stone gives us in our life is stability. What Christ does in our life, He gives us stability. When pandemics hit the world stage and when governments change and administrations come and go, when the economy goes up and goes down, who is still there, solid, stable, not moving, immovable? It is our Lord Jesus that is stable. He is the cornerstone of our life. He is who we hold to. He is our strength because we know that He is not going to move. Malachi, he says this. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. In Hebrews, he says he's the, day, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And James declares that he is the one who will not sh- change like shifting sa- shadows. God is the one who is never going to give us, give us an, ever a question that he is going to leave or move or change. He is solid as a rock. Stable. That's who Jesus is. He's our foundation. On that foundation, what's God building? Well, he's building a spiritual house. Look at verse 5. He said, when you come to him, I'm going to build you into a spiritual house. I'm going to make you into something that you were not. In verse 10, you, used, you, weren't, you didn't used to be anybody, but now I'm going to make you into somebody. How many of you would like God to make you into somebody? The world may not know you. They may not write books about you. But I want you to know God in heaven knows who you are. And he can make you a nobody into somebody. Praise the Lord for that. He's building a spiritual house. In, in the New Testament times, the, the word Christian, which came out of the, of the church in Antioch, they begin to call people Christians. You know what that really means? It means little Christ's. You're Christians. You're, you're little Christ. You're people that... that Share his strength that, that you're, you imitate Christ. That's what being a Christian is. You're an imitator. You imitate the rock. You're like, as Paul, or as Peter says, you imitate, you become a living stone. The king of Sparta in ancient Greece, he used to brag about the mighty walls of the city of Sparta. One time an entourage of another city came and they were talking and the king of Sparta said, I want you to look at the beautiful walls of this city. And to this, to this group's amazement, they looked around and they didn't see any walls because you see Sparta had no walls. They're like, what are, what are you talking about? Beautiful walls, I don't see any walls. And the king said, you see these men, they are the walls of Sparta. It's not about what we build it's about who is being built. It's about who is, the, who is the wall of Sparta. And that's what Jesus does in himself. Jesus will point 
to you and he will brag about you and say, you know what? What is being built is not a church made out of brick and mortar, but it's the church that's right there living at your address, living right there, going to work where you are. You are the church and God brags about you, not about all the the church buildings we have and the acres that we talk about and the, the different things that we can construct. It's about you. That's God's project. That's what God's concerned about. Not multi-million dollar buildings. He's concerned about you, building you. That's what he really, really wants. Simply put, God is concerned about building us to be like himself, to share in his strength. And Christianity, if you look at it, it's the only religion where, if you call it that, where the life of the one we worship becomes our life. We take on the life of Christ. Jesus is all about building people up. He's not about all the other things. He's about making you into a spiritual house. And when you build people up, and God knows this, that it can be a messy endeavor. It can get messy. I know it. Thank the Lord for that. Don't let that sound bother you. Thank the Lord for that. That is a pump that is pumping water. Looks like we need multiples. In Jeremiah chapter 18, there's a story about God directing Jeremiah to go down to the house, to the potter's house. We're not talking about T.D. Jakes' church. We're talking about going down to the potter's house. And when he arrives there, he finds the potter and he's sitting at the wheel where he puts clay on this wheel and he begins to spin it with his feet. And as the wheel goes around, his hands shape and mold the clay and shape it into whatever he desires for it to be. Shaping it, forming it, remaking it, all in the hands of the potter. Can I just tell you this? And here's a statement that you can kind of live by. Before you can know the will of God, you have to first know the will of God. You can't know God's will unless you first get on his wheel. Let him shape you. Let him mold you. Let him reform you. Let him take what's broken and fix Because you have to yield to the hands of the potter. Because he is the one who sees the potential in your life. God sees the potential in all of your life today. God sees what what only he can see. He sees what only he can make. He sees what only he can reshape and reform. Now, now, I know if you're sitting around people who know you really well, they're thinking, no, I don't know, I don't know if I see all that in, in that person. I don't know if I see that in my husband. I don't know if I see that in my wife. But God sees more potential in you than you or your husband or your wife or your friend or your closest relative. God sees more potential in you than anybody else in this world. And He takes your life and He sets it upon His will. And He begins to shape it. Can I tell you that God's not looking for superstars in His kingdom? What God is looking for is He's looking for availability. Someone that'll say, I'll step up upon the wheel and let God shape my life and make me and mold me to be the person that I need to be. I will let God do what He needs to do in me. I don't have to be the greatest at anything. I just have to be humble and yielded to Him so that He'll shape my life. And he can take you and he can make you into whatever he desires. Look at Moses. He took a murderer and made him into a liberator. He took Joseph, just a simple dreamer, and made him into a commander of an entire nation. He took Daniel, who was just a captive in Babylon, and made him into the greatest prayer warrior that changed the entire nation. 
He took David that was just a little shepherd boy and he turned him into a king. He took Peter, this man that we're looking at today in his writings, uh, just a simple fisherman on the shores of Galilee and he made him into a prophet of God. God sees potential in all of your life and he wants to shape you and mold you. So yield to him and let him do it. Let him do it. Several uh, weeks ago, it was a couple months ago actually, Shannon and I were driving back from southwestern coming through Dallas and we're driving along, and as you know, when you sometimes you're driving through that Dallas traffic, all of a sudden you kind of top the hill, and all you see is just a sea of red. And it was just red lights. And as we got closer, we saw not just red lights, but flashing blue and yellow and all kinds of different lights. We got really, really close. And on I-35, which down through, through the trough there, you see there's like six lanes we're heading north in that trough, and we get up to like the second row, and there's just, there's like six cop cars in each, there's one in each lane, completely blocking traffic. So we had everybody slow down, and they're rolling real slow. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, is this the president's motorcade? I mean, what's going on? We don't know what this is. And for several miles and quite a few minutes, we're behind all of these cop cars, we couldn't figure out. We didn't know what it was. And then, as we looked past the slowed down traffic and past these police officers, we saw up there a crew of guys in a truck setting out cones and setting out barrels. Construction. Slowed everybody down. There was a line of cars behind us that three, four miles long. Six lanes across. And as, the, as the, the construction workers, they got set out and they reduced the six lanes down to about two lanes. Terrible. You know what I'm talking about. You live in this area, you, you've seen that. You've been in that. It's a nightmare. It's a good place to learn patience. Jesus is teaching you a lesson. We saw one police officer pull off and then another he'd pull off and then another would pull off till there was just a couple left and then they'd finally just pull off and they'd split off and they'd allow people to kind of merge together. As we went through that entire process, I realized that when people are just driving normal speed, God has to sometimes slow us down because you can't fix some of the potholes in your life and in mine when we're still speeding at 75 miles an hour. God's got to slow you down. He's got to turn the lights on in your life. He's got to get your attention. And that's what he does. He, he gets your attention. He'll slow you to a stop, to your crawl, and you get so uncomfortable. And you start asking questions. What is going on? Is this the president? Who, who would shut down this, this whole freeway? Who does this? Just a construction worker. That's who does it. Because there's potholes that have to be fixed. Because if they keep growing, you can wreck your life. You have to fix it. God has to slow you down. Maybe there's a guardrail in your life that needs to be repaired. Because you, you, might, you might not be able to see the, see the road and you drive straight off over the edge. You've got to fix the guardrails. Maybe you're getting a little bit too close to the edge. And the Lord has to say, need to bounce you back to the middle just a little bit more you need to look at where you're at maybe there are areas in your whole life that need to be completely removed 
and repaved or re-poured so that God can say, you know what, you're going to have a rough ride until we take all of this out of your life and we report. That's what God does. And he has to turn the flashing lights on and he slows us down to a point to where we can actually see what God is doing. It wasn't until after we got through all that, I was like, I can't believe they stopped all of that just for a little bit of construction. Apply that same thing to your own life. It's the very same thing. God will slow you down to a crawl and you will get uncomfortable and you will ask questions because he has to repair some things. Be patient with him because you're still under construction. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm still under construction. So be patient with me. (laughs) Tell tell your wife, tell your husband, be patient with me. I'm still under construction. The first song I ever sang in church... I was seven years old. They had to stand a little chair up behind the pulpit. I sang a song by a little southern gospel group called the Hemp Hills. I'll never forget it. It was a song that was titled, He's Still Working On Me. Forty years later, the song that I sang is still as true as it was that Sunday night that I stood in that chair behind the pulpit. I stand behind this pulpit, and I declare to you that he's still working on me. He's still working on you. Be patient with me. Be patient with your neighbor. Be patient with your wife. Be patient with your husband. Be patient with your kids. Be patient with your neighbor. He's still working on them. They're still under construction. So don't get anxious when you think that things should be moving a little bit faster. He's he's working. Then Peter finally wraps up with this. I'll close with this. He's not just building a spiritual house, but he's building into you a special type of house. He's he's building you into a living testimony of his mercy. Look at the last couple of verses. Look at verse 8. He said, there's going to be those who stumble and who disobey Christ because that's what they were destined for. There's going to be people who just won't get it. They won't get it. And they'll refuse to get it. They'll attend church even. They'll hear the message of the gospel. They'll hear me talk about Jesus being the foundation of their life, and yet they still will not get it. They'll keep on walking, keep on doing their own thing. But verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God, so that, listen, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful, wonderful, wonderful light. God is building your life for one reason. You're under construction for one reason, so that you can be a living, a living testimony of His mercy and His grace. You could say that you're a mobile home of praise. You're an RV of worship. That wherever you go, that you're just going to praise the Lord, that you're going to worship God, that you're going to declare the testimony of God. This room is filled with people who have Stories to tell about God's grace and His mercy, about His power, about His, about His touch, his, about his, his, his love that, that saved you and rescued you. And because of that, He says, I've called you to be a chosen people, not just a number. You're not just a number in God's kingdom. He knows you by name. He knows the hair on your head. He knows everywhere that you go. He knows all that you think. Just think about where your life could have been had you not been found by the Lord. 
Just pause and stop right there. Some of you, had Jesus not had mercy upon your life and the grace of God not been accepted by by you, if you had not latched on to that saving grace, friends, you wouldn't even be here today. You'd still be trying to get over that hangover you had from last night. You'd still be trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life at 50 years old. You'd still be trying to, trying to figure out how you're, going to, how you're going to mend your marriage the fifth time. But God has saved you. He's transformed you. He, he has chosen you and He's poured all of His resources into you because He has been building your life and thank God He found you because I don't know if I don't want to met you before He found you. You may not have wanted to know me. He's chosen. We're chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We don't just get to go to, to church. We, we are the church. We have access like that of a priest. Think about the Old Testament. We have that access. We don't approach God through a third-party system. We don't have to call somebody or, or get a hold of somebody and say, Hey, would you talk to the Lord for me? We go directly to Him. We serve Him. We serve Him like a priest. What happens in this new construction is this. We begin to serve God. As, as Romans 12.1 says, Paul says, We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Our hands, our feet, our mouth, we give God everything that we are. That's what we do as a, as a, as a holy priesthood. We, we give Him ourselves. We say, Lord, You take me. You use me. Make me whatever You want me to be. I'll do whatever You want me to do. And, and that is our spiritual act of worship. You can worship God without ever coming to church on a Sunday morning. You continue to worship God on Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening and Monday. And how do you do that? It's not by just singing songs. It's not by just playing music. It's by using the hands that God gave you, the feet that God gave you, the mouth that God gave you. You are the priests of God that carry His message and His testimony to everybody. You offer our worship. And Hebrews chapter 13 says, Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Some of you had to sacrifice praise this morning. You didn't feel it. You weren't... You weren't Thrilled about even clapping your hands. You were tired. You're still tired. You weren't sure if you even wanted to go to church this morning, but you got up and you came anyway. You offered a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice. You got up out of bed and you said, Lord, I'm going. Because you offered your praise to God as a priest. That's what you do. You offer your energy and your effort. And the next verse in Hebrews 13 says, Don't forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifices God is pleased with. You give yourself to others. You, you lend a hand. You, you help when you can help. You, you offer encouraging words when you can help. And then you offer your resources. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 says that Paul received gifts. And he says they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When you give to God out of your resources of which God provides through you, you're able to touch and you're able to minister. That's a sacrifice. You make a sacrifice so that missionaries can go around the world and preach to people that you'll never, ever meet. You make a sacrifice when you give so that children in our area, that in foster homes or foster families, that they can provide, provide them with things that they need. You become a sacrifice of praise. You, you become the priest. And then you become what the Lord says, you're a holy nation. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, holiness is as taught in the scriptures, is not based upon knowledge 
of our part. Rather, it's based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling in us and changing us into his likeness. Holiness is not something that you do and then you come to God. You find out that holiness is when you give your heart completely to him, you begin to see your life changing. It's like that building project. You see the changes as they take place on the outside. You don't have to know that somebody's building a building. And the same way as God's building your life, there is a recognizable difference between what you were and what you are today. Come on, somebody. Being a Christian is not a, a, an invisible endeavor. It's visible. John said, by, Jesus told him, he said, by your fruit you will know them. You will know someone who is following God by the way that they live, by the way that they talk by the things that they do, by the places they go, by what they believe and what they think. You know a Christian not by his mouth, but by their life. You're a holy nation, a people who belong to God. You're built with a mark upon your life. It's called a maker's mark. There's a lot of different things in construction. There's a maker's mark that's stamped upon a lot of different products and, and tools. The Bible says that as a believer, you're marked by the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit marks your life. And here's the good part. The Lord reclaims everything that has His mark. One of these days, everything that He owns, as the Scriptures of Peter says, you belong to Him, He's going to take, to, take back. He's going to bring to Himself. If you've got the mark, of the Holy Spirit upon your heart, one of these days, Jesus is going to come back after you. He's going to take back what is His. Not what the world created. Not what other men have created. He's going to take back what He has created. His building. His project. His construction job. He's going to take it back for Himself. Thank God He's going to collect it all one of these days. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'd like for you just to bow your heads all over the room. Musicians, y'all can just stay. We'll just go with Leslie this morning. This passage this morning describes two groups of people. People that reject the builder and its construction process and others that will accept the builder and undergo construction. Here's what I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to just tell you this morning. You've heard me talk about God's project, building, constructing, building your life. And in the course of this message, some of you have looked at your life and you've thought, well, yeah, I know God's building me, but the reality is, is that we always think that our building project should be further along than what it is. We say things like, I thought when I got to this point that I'd be different. Things would be different in my life. I thought at this point I wouldn't be struggling with, with this sin or this issue or this challenge in my life. I, I thought I wouldn't have to wrestle with these thoughts. I thought I would have mastered this this particular area of my life, I thought I would have been a better student of the Word of God. All of these years, the Lord has been building me. 
But like any building project, construction process, some progress is very noticeable. You're putting the frame up or building a brick wall on the exterior. And you're pouring the concrete or whatever it might be. Those are very noticeable things. But there's other process and progress that is very slow. It takes a lot of time. You're pulling wire, putting up trim, building cabinets, all, the, all types of things that you do in a construction process. It's slow. It takes a lot of time. Fine detail work. I want to encourage you today. Don't give up on God's building plans for you. Don't give up. Over the last year, there's been some folks who have just given up. They've given up on God's plan, God's process, God's building project for their life. They just gave up. They didn't see what they thought that they should be seeing. But I want you to know, friends, if you'll just stay faithful, you'll just keep standing upon that rock. Keep allowing the potter to spin the wheel. He's going to make something beautiful out of your life that you can't satisfy anywhere else. That emptiness that you feel, that lonely feeling maybe, that downcast feeling in your heart that you just can't seem to sweep away, that's just you trying to build your own life. That living hope, that living stone is where you find true satisfaction. You won't find it anywhere else. So this morning, as you contemplate that, I just want to ask a question before I pray for you. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to allow God to continue building my life. I've been a little bit discouraged about where I've been. I feel like the process has gotten to a slow. He's got me to a stop. I'm behind, I'm behind all those lights. He slowed me down to a point to where I just don't know if there's anything happening. But pastor, would you pray for me that I would just, I, I would stay put, I'd stay on the wheel, I'd, just, I'd keep letting the process work out. Would you raise your hand today and you say, pastor, that's me. Just, just pray that I'll continue to stay faithful. Yes, thank you, thank you. Just raise your hand. Just say, just rec- just let the Lord recognize you. Help me to stay faithful to the progress and to the process that God's working in my life. Friends, listen, it may be slow, but God's working in you. He's working in you, or you wouldn't even be here today. I want to pray for you, and I just want you to have a conversation right there with the Lord and just say, Lord, I, I I'm I dedicate my life. Just keep building me. Show me the potholes. Show me the, show me the guardrails. Show me what needs to be replaced and removed. Let me walk to you. I want to pray for you now. You just take a moment and you just have a conversation with him as I pray with you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for your word and the presence that we felt. I thank you, Lord, for the process and the construction that you're doing on all of our lives. I'm glad you never gave up on me, Lord. 
And I'm glad that you never gave up on any of these folks today and all those, Lord, who are allowing you to mold them and shape them, Lord. Because, Lord, we still have a long way to go. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, Lord. We want to stay put, Lord. We want to continue to walk according to the ways that you have called us to walk. Lord, we want to be that spiritual house being built. I pray that every person here this morning would dedicate themselves to the process of being built into that house that you've called them to be built to. Lord, you, you see, Lord, the end result. You see the end product, Lord. Let us just remain faithful. Lord, I pray that, God, that you touch those who are discouraged, Lord, with the progress. Help them to see that, Lord, that it may take time, but to be patient and to allow you to work. Let their hearts be open and yielded to you, Lord. May they hear your voice. We honor you today, and we thank you, Lord, for building us into what you want us to be. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Allow God to continue to build you, construct you, make you. If you'll do that, I'll promise that everybody that knows you your husband and your wife or your kids, your family, your friends, they're going to thank God every day for what he has done. Amen? Amen. So say this with me as you stand. Everybody stand with me. Say this. Say, be patient. I'm still under construction. One more time. Be patient. I'm still under construction. Amen. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May he season your conversation with the gospel and may your hands always do his will. God bless you today. Have a great Sunday afternoon. You're dismissed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.